Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And uh, this morning we will be concluding John chapter 4. And we're continuing, obviously, in an expositional study of the Gospel of John this morning. We've seen how John has given us the events of the life and ministry of Jesus. He has shown from the outset that Jesus is the Word, the eternal Son of God who is God, and that His ministry is one of bringing light to darkness, a kingdom of eternal life. And for all who truly believe in Him, He gives the right to be the children of God. And we heard Pastor Brett so eloquently this morning give that to us through the lens of the Exodus uh, from Exodus uh, uh, the, the, the book of Exodus this morning. And uh, when we have seen how John displays Jesus' power as a means to provide evidence of Jesus' Messiahship, of Jesus as Messiah, he turned the water to wine, and his disciples, it said, believed in him. He spoke of the miracle of his own resurrection as the temple being torn down and raised again in three days. And John uh, speaks of how his disciples remembered this after his resurrection. John shows how there are those who have a false belief in Jesus, those who only believe in his signs for what they are versus what they point to about Jesus. And we have seen two interactions concerning the reality of who Jesus is. Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, a Jewish religious leader, and a Samaritan woman. And today we see a third interaction that is contrasted with a sort of rejection of Jesus, or at least Jesus uh, presenting that he will be rejected. So that kind of sets the the course for us this morning. If you're able to, would you please stand? I'm going to read aloud our passage for this morning as you follow along. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43, and then reading to the end of the chapter. John uh, 4, 43, after the Two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine, and at Capernaum, where uh, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. You may be seated, may the... Lord, bless the reading of his word earlier in the Old Testament reading and now in the New Testament reading. Would you join me in prayer once again? Lord, this morning we, having read your word, both in the Old 
and New Testament are reminded that your word is truth. And Lord, that we are sanctified in truth. So even the public reading of your word is a sanctifying work. We recognize that in the original autographs we have what is inspired by the Spirit. And we have very good and helpful translations of that today. So we actually have your word to read and to sanctify us, to set us apart. And so now, Lord, we pray that we again would be sanctified in the study of your word. As your spirit who inspired these words in the original autographs can do the work in our hearts that we need this morning, whether comfort or conviction, uh, Lord, for those of us who are in you, being drawn closer to you and worshiping you and giving you the glory, Lord, that you deserve, or for those, Lord, who do not know you that are in our midst, that need to be given new life, regenerated by the Spirit, we know that that work can be done by your will as well. And so we pray for that. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way. Only let the glory of Christ be seen this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The phrase blind faith is a popular one. However, this is not the historic Christian understanding of faith. Listen to the words of Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we understand from this that there certainly are unseen things, But that faith is not blind. Faith is not faith in nothing or faith in faith. We believe in something. Really someone. Though in this age clearly we have not seen him. We believe that he has told us. Therefore faith is not blind. Though there are realities and things that we hope in. Assurances as Hebrews says. There are realities we do not see. Our faith is in a person, not in faith itself, or that which is utterly without evidence. As many of you know, my roommate from college is a man who was born blind. Yet, he could tell if the light was on. Before we were roommates, his roommate, previous to me, was very unkind to him. Brian would ask his roommate to turn off the light And his roommate would say, why? You're blind. But Brian could even with his eyes closed and with the effects of blindness, tell that the lights were on. Interestingly, it is light that John describes as that which either people run away from because they are afraid it will expose their darkness or what they run to in order to show that their deeds are done by God. We've we've studied that together in the Gospel of John. And we are told that this light is Jesus. And it is Jesus coming into the world. So we see in passages like ours today that some saw Jesus in person and did not believe in Him. They saw His miracles with their own eyes and did not believe. And in fact, some attributed His works to that of Satan. And yet others believed in Him, though they were not privy to the miracles he had even done for them, as we see in our passage this morning. 
So here's our main point. You can see this written for you on the back of your worship folder. Their faith, with or without sight, is not the foundation of our belief, but rather the object of our faith is. Faith without or with or without sight is not the foundation of our belief, but rather the object of our faith is. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is not in what we can or cannot see. Our faith is in a person, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in what He has done and who He is. And that He not only has lived a perfect life, died in our place, risen again and has ascended, but that He is too coming again. Faith, with or without sight, is not the foundation of our belief, but rather the object of our faith is. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to see three facets of Jesus' interaction with a royal servant who asks for Him to heal His Son. Three facets of this interaction that Jesus has with this royal official who whose son is about to die, and he comes to find Jesus. First, the first facet we see is this, the prophet is not welcome. The prophet is not welcome. As we look at this passage about a royal official and a prophet, we know that Jesus is the prophet. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. But here we see that a prophet is not always welcomed. Look at what it says in verse 43. After the two days, this is the two days that he was in Samaria, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. As Jesus is leaving Samaria, John notes this interesting matter. He tells us that Jesus leaves Samaria after two days. Two days spent with those who would have been seen as illegitimate for the Messiah to go and spend time with. The the Samaritans, uh, the half-breeds, the Jew Assyrians. Uh, Jesus, as we saw last week, is beginning to push the boundaries of the kingdom outside of Israel and, and, and beginning to show that all from every tribe, tongue, and nation are welcome to believe in Messiah. And from there, He leaves Remember the testimony of the Samaritans after those two days. It is no longer only because of your testimony, dear woman at the well, that we believe. But we now know for ourselves that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And there's, there's so much richness of Christ's ministry, His goal wrapped up in that verbiage. And we contrast that with what is said next as Jesus leaves that place and goes to Galilee. And it says that, Jesus foretold that a prophet is not welcome in his own country. So he goes from there to the region of Galilee. And I think we can see sort of two facets of this idea of what it means that Jesus is not welcome in his own country. Interestingly, as he travels from Sychar to Cana, he would have possibly had to pass through Nazareth, his own hometown. Uh, and, and we could see this as sort of the uh, as sort of hometown central for Jesus, where he would not have been accepted as a prophet. In fact, we see evidence of that in other gospel accounts. That in Nazareth, they say, "Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of the carpenter? Like, who is he to tell us what we ought to believe?" But even as Jesus goes into the region of Galilee, we understand that this entire region where Nazareth, Nazareth is, it is a place where largely Jesus is rejected. 
Largely, Jesus is rejected by the people of Israel. So it is interesting that in the midst of this place where Jesus foretells that he would be rejected, he goes anyway, but who is it that comes to see him? This is an interesting thing to ponder. But we do consider Jesus' words, don't we, in John chapter 1? I'm sorry, John's words about Jesus, forgive me, in John chapter 1 and verse 11. As we think about this light coming into the world, says the world did not know him, verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Remember this prologue that John gives in John chapter 1 really is something, these first 18 verses if you will, that he unpacks in the rest of his gospel. And here is a part of that unpacking. Right? The light is coming into the world. We have this conversation with Nicodemus, this conversation with the Samaritan woman, and now this conversation with a royal official. And it says here, John highlights for us, Jesus even said that a prophet is not welcome in his own town. Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. In some general ways this refers to Israel at large, but we see snippets of this displayed like we do in our passage in John chapter 4. The point of this, again, may be to juxtapose Jesus' longer stay with the Samaritans and is not even really attempting to go in and, and stay a while at Nazareth. And then also the reception he receives in Cana. There are those who perhaps we may not be able to reach because they have so turned their noses to the truth. As we think about personal application today, it could be that we are unable to reach a family member because they know our past and they don't believe we are truly Christians or, or whatever that may look like. And we, in the midst of that, maybe in some ways being that prophet who is rejected in their own land as we seek to bring the gospel to bear upon those in our own lives who might not even care. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that God would bring His truth to their heart, that the Spirit would regenerate them, that someone else would come along and continue that, what we, what we have planted, they will water and God will bring the increase. This could also be the person who has been raised in the church, who knows all about the things of Scripture and of Jesus, but refuse to see Him for who He really is and truly trust in Him. John has emphasized different sorts of interactions would help us see the way Jesus has been received. Think of this progression with me. John the baptizer prepares the way of Messiah and declares him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as in every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus calls men to follow him who are made privy to his messianic ministry. Philip and Nathaniel with the vision of uh, Nathaniel under the fig tree. The miracle at the wedding of Cana, the turning of water into wine. Uh, one way this can be seen is that Jesus is the Lord over nature. The temple cleansing, uh, the questioning of Jesus' authority, and the redirecting of worship from the temple to himself. We see those who only believe in him for his miracles. We'll come to see this again in John 5 and 6. 
Jesus' interactions with Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who recognizes that Jesus is from God, to whom Jesus says, you cannot simply be a part of the kingdom without being born from above, born of God. It's not good enough, Nicodemus, that you have a religious heritage. It's not good enough that you are of Israel. You need to be born of God. Again, an unpacking of what John says in John chapter 1. Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman, which is outside of the bounds of what is culturally proper, but Jesus is pushing the kingdom boundaries outside of Israel alone and telling her that indeed worship is being redirected to Messiah. Those who worship Him worship God in spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and truth. Jesus is the truth. And now, Jesus not even going into this region, perhaps even passing through His own hometown, knowing the rejection He'll face there, but continuing on even into Galilee where that rejection is seen more and more. All of this leading up to the interaction that we see in this passage today, which we see in our second point, the prophet is sought. The prophet is rejected, but now we see the prophet is sought in verses 46 through 49. So, it says in verse 46, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. John reminds us that there is... This is where Jesus had done his first sign that John highlights, which is the water to wine. We recall that there are those who are, uh, after this, said to believe in him because he was able to demonstrate this kind of power. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew it was in the hearts of men and knew that they were not truly believing in him. Here we see an interaction that, again, can only be described as a divine appointment. A royal official's son is at the point of death and he hears... Jesus is at Cana and goes to him and asks him to heal his son. Look at it again. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. It is possible... And I think likely probable that this man is a Gentile that has heard of Jesus, has heard of what Jesus has done, and has heard that Jesus will be fairly close to him, probably somewhere between 15 and 25 miles from Capernaum to Cana. And this man is so desperate on the one hand, for his son to be healed because he is not at the point of death, but also so believing that he would travel so far to see this one who he has heard can work miracles. Now, as often we see in the Gospels, Jesus' response to this is quite interesting. Jesus takes this opportunity to instruct about signs and wonders. Look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, interestingly, it doesn't really display this in our translations, but that you in that verse is actually plural. So he says, Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this seems first to be directed at the man to some degree. Certainly, he is the one who's asking for Jesus to come and heal his son. But since it is plural, he is also directing it to all those who are within earshot. 
The way in which this is directed at the man could be because the man is asking Jesus to come to him. He says, I need for you to make this journey to, to come down. It's, it's uphill from Capernaum to Cana. I need you to come down off of the hill of Cana, down to Capernaum, where my son is, and to heal him. Now this shows a measure of what? Of faith. A measure of belief. Does it not? If you come to him, Jesus, I believe that you can heal him. Everything was done by foot or by camel or chariot of horse in those days. This is not a short distance in those days, even by some other mode of transportation beside walking. And certainly this man being a royal official probably had the means to get there. But he comes all the way to Jesus and says, I need for you to come back with me. My son is about to die. And though this may be directed at this man particularly in one way, it is likely more strongly directed at the crowd because the man came all the way from Capernaum and these are here with him. And he has already stated, John has already stated, that Jesus did not put much weight in those who believed in him only for his miracles. This theme continues to come up. It's a, it's a contrast that John gives in his gospel of Jesus' signs, his miracles that pointed to who he is. The belief in what these things, what Jesus can do for me, versus the purpose of the signs, which is to point to who Jesus truly is. Again, we see John relaying from Jesus' own mouth the issues of sign and belief. In one sense, he is saying this is very, uh, he says this very plainly and straightforwardly. The signs are meant to point to who Jesus is and give an indication that he uh, is, uh, what he is saying and what he says he will do to be true. But I think also, Jesus is saying this ironically, since there are those who witness the signs and believe in the signs as those things which will benefit them, and yet even those who believe in them in this way, there is an ultimate rejection by some who clearly can see the works of God through Christ in His earthly ministry. They cannot deny them. As I mentioned earlier, some say, well, yes, those are real, but you do them by Satan. And I'm convinced that by John chapter 11, after Jesus does the ultimate miracle before he himself is raised in the resurrection, as he resurrects Lazarus from the dead, I believe that the Jewish officials know exactly who he is and they kill him anyway. This idea of signs is true in our day. There are those who say, if God would but show himself to be real, they would believe. But he has in the person of Jesus Christ. And they do not believe. We do not confess arbitrarily the things we do, such as the resurrection. If we only say with our mouths our confessions and have not truly believed in him to whom they point, we are no different than those who believed in the miracles, but not in the object to which those miracles point, which is Jesus Christ himself. Our faith is not in a confession of faith, but we confess by faith in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even with Jesus' words about signs and belief, 
What do we see here? The man persists. Look at verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. This actually serves to highlight the first part of Jesus' reasons for stating what he does about belief in signs. It is clear the man believed that Jesus could heal his son. He, he, he didn't say to Jesus, this, this generation desires a sign or they won't believe. He doesn't say, well, I guess uh, I'm not getting what I came here for. No, he says, says, sir, please come. My son is dying. I need you to come. You can heal him. The way in which he expected Jesus to do this is not the way Jesus chooses to do it, but the man persists because he believes that Jesus can do this. His faith is showing itself to be a faith in what? A person, not just in the sign. I need, you, you need to come. It has to be you. You're the only one who can do this. You have to come or my son is going to die. And we see Jesus' response to this in our next point. The prophet produces a sign. In the man's persistence, Jesus tells him, Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Jesus doesn't say, All right, let's pack up, let's get in the chariot. Let's head back. No, he says, imperatively, as a command, go. Your son will live. The sign occurs away from the man, away from his sight. And he has to go in order to see the results. So Jesus tells him not only that his son is healed, he says, but you need to go to him. Go. Your son will live. Notice the response to this. Verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The evidence of the power and the sign of Jesus is not seen until the man returns home. But he believes that Jesus can do this now. This is a different, this is a different level of belief than before. I mean, we, we really appreciate and, and admire this first step of belief. I, I'm going to go 15, maybe 25 miles from home to find Jesus. Down. All right, look, we've got the, the cars gassed up. Let's hop in. Let's go back. You can heal my son. Jesus says, unless you see, you will not believe. On the one hand, predicting what he's about to do. On the other hand, condemning Israel because they will see the signs and they won't believe. Here is a man who Jesus says, I don't even need to be there. Go. And he doesn't say, well, hang on, Jesus. Wait just a minute. I heard about this miracle you did with the water and the wine and you were present there. And the water turned to wine. You have to be there. And what does it say? He believed Jesus' word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Listen to what it says in verses 51 through 53. He had to go, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever had left him. So apparently, at the very moment that Jesus sends him on his way, the servants are like, what? (laughs) He's better suddenly. This is an organic healing. This is not uh, some psychosomatic kind of healing. This is real. In the moment, the, the, the boy's fever drops and he is better. And the servants are like, We need to go and find the master. And he's on his way and they're on their way. And it seems like they meet somewhere in the middle. And he's like, what are you guys doing here? They're like, your son's better. When did that happen? Yesterday at this hour. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. Three beliefs in this, right? He believes enough to go down to make the request of Jesus. Jesus then says, I'm, I'm not coming, but your son is better, is better. Go. He believes again. And now when he sees the evidence of the healing, he believes. He believes. And all his household The end of the sign is not the sign in itself, but of the glory of God. And this is seen in the salvation of this man and his family. They believed in Jesus. The object of their faith is not the idea of the son being healed, but the fact that the son had been healed points to the person who did the work. How much stronger would the faith have been I mean, maybe, maybe just because this guy's human and we're human and we can maybe think in the way that he does, he's on his way home having believed. But then an hour into the trip, he's, but, but, but really, is, is he really healed? He begins to maybe doubt a little bit. No, okay. Jesus changed the water to wine. I, I went all the way there to see him and he said he doesn't need to be there. Okay, I, I believe. Maybe... Another hour into the trip, he, I don't know. Oh, man, is he really going to be better? I'm not, not really sure. No, this is, this is the one whom I've heard John the Baptist say, he's the Lamb of God. No, no, okay, okay, I, I, I believe. <laughs> and he gets home, or he gets halfway there, and he, he, he's alive. It's unbelievable. And he gets home, and it's confirmed And it says that the man believed in his household. Verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. John is all about pointing to the signs and saying there are some who will see the signs and yet having seen them, they will not believe. And some who see the signs, who only want the benefit of that for themselves and they're not truly entrusting themselves to Jesus. And then some who don't even see the signs until later and they believe. We may wonder about two or three stages of belief here and think about the faith of man as either lacking or wavering. 
Even if it is true, the point is not the strength of the faith, but the one who has the power to heal, even if he is not in the presence of the Son. Again, just think about this in our modern application. We are not eyewitnesses to the miracles of Jesus. But we are witnesses to those which have been written down. And Jesus even prays for us, as we'll see in John's Gospel. Jesus prays for those who believe and have not seen. But we have seen in our own lives, if we're in Christ and in the lives of others, the miracle of conversion, haven't we? Now, I was reflecting upon my, my brother, Pastor Brett, standing up here as he was serving the, the elements earlier. And I was thinking about his testimony, thinking about how he lived uh, the first part of his life up into his college years for himself. Only ever looking at, out for himself. And how he said that Jesus Christ broke through that selfish, self-centeredness and transformed him. And here my brother is, who, who hated God, who hated Christ. And this is just what was going through my mind as he was serving the emblems this morning. He is up here as a brother in Christ, as one who has been called into ministry, who's, who's proclaiming the truth of the, of the gospel to serve the elements this morning. What a transformation. And, and, and I know my own heart. I know the things that I struggle with. And I know the sins in my own life before coming to Christ. And the sins I still struggle with after coming to Christ. And I think, what a wonderful Savior. And I haven't even seen His face. And I can't wait to see His face. But He has done it. He has done it. You see, we were the ones who were dying in our death, in our sins, in our transgressions. And he sent his son. He said, go to his son. And his son stood in our place, taking the wrath that we deserved, so that him having died and yet be ra being raised to new life, we who were dead can be raised to new life. Jesus is not only the one who showed himself to be Messiah through what he did and said, but also the Lamb of God who takes away sin and does so by giving his life in place of sinners who deserve to be where he was. This death and resurrection is the miracle to which all sinners must look in order to be reconciled to a holy God. Have you turned from your sin and looked only to him? For those of us in Christ, our only hope is in Christ and not in the strength of our faith. Hear me this morning because there are times when our faith feels very weak. True of all of us. When we lose sight of this, we begin to trust in our own strength and works and our sort of strength of faith as the means by which we are made right and in that we are not trusting in Him. Perhaps this morning our sights need to be readjusted to this reality and we need to point each other to this truth. We are only made right in the eyes of God by the righteousness of Christ, not our own. Maybe you're here this morning and your, 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 your faith is weak this morning. Don't depend on that because it is the object of your faith, not your faith in which you are depending. And then we need to make sure we're coming alongside of one another and seeking to point each other to this truth because there are times, saints, when our faith feels weak. And all we do is we say, point 
Let's point each other to Christ, to His finished work, to what He has done. This morning, if you're here and you've not Turn from your sins and trust in Christ alone. I pray that you would do that. After we're done singing uh, our song this morning, Pastor Brett's going to be to my left, your right. You can come and talk with him, pray with him. If you're struggling this morning as a believer just in some of these matters, please come and see him. Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing our final hymn. Lord, this morning we are reminded of the great truth of the gospel, Lord, that we who are in this room and in you have not seen you, but we long to see you. We were reminded that our faith is not in faith or even in what we confess, but what we confess is true because it comes from your word. You died in the place of sinners and you rose again and you are coming again and we long for that, Lord. Help us as we have faith, as we have belief, Lord, help our unbelief. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.